I mentioned a moment ago that we've been doing a short study here in the month of August called Soul Stirrings. And today I want to talk to you about sacred expectations. We all need something to pull us forward in life. For some, it's a finish line or a championship. For others, it's a personal career goal. For others, it might be to have grandkids. For some, it is the expectation of a prosperous life that gives the opportunity or options for different experiences. The point is, though, that we all live in anticipation of something, something that is yet to come. And this expectation fills us with wonder and with mystery that we just sang about. You know, this type of expectation is best seen in kids. What I mean by that is think about Christmas for a moment. Think about your childhood. Christmas seemed to be so far away, and you seemed to just want it to come quickly. When you were a kid, when I was a kid, it almost seemed as if Christmas would never come. And we would live in an expectation of Christmas morning. Santa Claus would come, he'd bring gifts, you'd get up, you'd open them, and it was kind of a sacred experience. Now, here we are as adults, and we don't have the same expectations of Christmas, do we? When we come up to Advent and when we come up to Christmas, we have lost the sense of wonder because it's a lot of work, isn't it? Setting up everything, tearing it back down. It's a lot of expense, isn't it? You charge things to give your loved ones a good Christmas, and then, boy... January hits, and all these bills come tra- uh, uh, trickling in. But we as human beings love expectation. We absolutely do. And do you know God does too? There is a quote from an author, G.K. Chesterton, that wrote this. He says in his book, Orthodoxy, Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony, but perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every moment and every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never grown tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old. And our Father is younger than we. Boy, that's a fascinating last line, isn't it? Perhaps God is younger than we are because He is full of excitement and expectation of what is yet to come. There is built into the nature of God and into the biblical narrative sacred expectations of a better tomorrow that begins today.
We tend to use the word hope to express this feeling that we have. Sometimes our lives are filled with disappointment, sometimes despair and doubt, but we should never lose hope and expectation. You see, God reveals to us throughout the biblical narrative that His promise is that He is already into tomorrow, although He is not bored with today. So today I want to talk a little bit about a wine sign. And I'm going to use three passages of Scripture just to define it a little bit. We've read two of the three already out of Isaiah 25, then Isaiah 65, and John chapter 2. In the Bible, wine is used as a sacred sign of expectation. And I love going to wedding receptions. Uh, it is one of those things where all the troubles of the world seem to kind of be blocked out for about three hours. And then we get back to our regular life and we carry the burdens that we usually do. But it's sort of in the breaking of bread, it is in the celebration of a bride and a groom, and in the camaraderie of friendship and dancing and wine or drink, that there is an expectation of a good evening together. The bride and groom usually give a toast at some point using either champagne or a glass of wine because wine has always been associated with the celebration of good gifts. Wine is more than a drink in the Bible. It is a symbol of our connection to the earth and to grapes and the blessings of the earth. It is a symbol of renewal and hope. And wine is used to speak of a new day that is yet to come and that we should sit up and take notice of it and live in hope of a better tomorrow. So I read for us earlier Isaiah chapter 25, and in this particular passage, there is the image of a rich wedding feast, the idea of gathering together, and there's this feast of rich food for all peoples, not just for some, not for just the privileged, not for just the invited, but for all people. A banquet of aged wine, and the best of meats, and the finest of wines. This passage is being given to a group of people who had lost some hope. The Jewish people had lived under constant oppression, beginning with Egypt and the pharaohs that used the labor force to build many of the beautiful cities, and probably some of the pyramids that we can see even to this day. And it seemed as though there was an, one oppressor after another, and that was true all the way into the New Testament and into the time of Jesus. The Jewish people had been oppressed by Babylon, Medo-Persia, then Greece, and then Rome. And Isaiah gives this sacred expectation that there is a day that is coming, where they will be released from this captivity, and they will come to this mountain. This is an image here, this mountain of the Lord. And it says that the Lord will wipe away all their tears. Now, here's the hard thing, just like Christmas, waiting for that day. Waiting for that day to come. 
waiting for that day to be revealed, waiting for that day when wrongs will be made right. Nevertheless, what we find here is that they are to move ahead in expectation that God has not lost control. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you thought God's nowhere to be found? It seems as though he's just kind of let things run on its own. But here he tells us that he will create something new. And that's where Isaiah 65 comes in. So a few passages later in the prophet Isaiah, we come to chapter 65. And here's what the prophet goes on to say. Beginning in verse 17, he says this. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Never again, and here's this famous imagery here that's used sometimes out of the book. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives out but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought of as a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. And they will build houses and dwell in them, and they will plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and no longer will they build houses, and others, their oppressors, live in them or plant, and others eat their produce. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Beautiful picture, isn't it? A picture of security a picture of prosperity, a picture of unity. And all of these blessings in life are going to be enjoyed not just by the top 1%. It will be enjoyed by all people. And we live in expectation of the coming of the kingdom of God. That's the way Jesus put it. The kingdom of God is at hand. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. In other words, this kind of life that is lived out in the ancient world where there is the sharing of resources. Now, I want to show you a picture here. In the ancient Near East, everyone made wine. It was the staple that was on the table. And they would make it in vats. They would make it in wine presses. Now, this is an actual picture of an archaeological find of an ancient wine uh, vat where they would put the grapes in this uh, square hole and people would get in it, just like you see in this picture here, and they would <laughs> stomp the grapes, okay? And as they would stomp the grapes, this little channel here would bring the, the juices down into this where they would collect it. They would allow it to ferment, uh, ferment rather. And uh, then the next stop was to the table where... In the ancient world where water was not purified, it was safer to drink wine than it was to sink, uh, drink water. And so they would use all of this, and the ancient Israelites knew that God was giving them something special. When Joshua and the uh, other spies go to uh, 
do surveillance on the land. Uh, when Joshua and Caleb come back and they said, it is a land that is rich. It's a land that can produce all kinds of fruit. And so in this uh, text, there's this idea that there is this place, a place of community and a place of expectation that people can join together. They can serve one another. They can meet each other's needs. And that's all a part of this imagery of wine. You see, in the ancient world, long before coinage and money was developed, the way you got along was on a barter system. So those who made wine could supply it for somebody who was able to make olive oil. Are you following what I'm saying? And they would trade, and they needed each other. Now today, we might not need each other as much as long as we have enough coinage or enough money to be able to buy the services that we need. But in the ancient world, this was a communal thing. And that brings us to John chapter 2. So in John chapter 2, there's this imagery of a, a wedding that Jesus is invited to. And here we find, just built upon what has been laid out, and I've only given you two samples. This is everywhere in the Old Testament. Here's the sacred expectation. The hope and the promise that God will make all things right and that our destiny is to be in peaceable communion with God and neighbors in this age and in the age to come. So in John chapter 2, Jesus is invited to this wedding. He knows the couple, or at least his family knew the couple that was getting married. It seems as though his mother Mary was quite involved in some of the preparations for this. Uh, she is the individual that will approach Jesus when they run out of wine. Now, what's interesting in all of this is the fact that Mary seems to be rebuked a little bit by Jesus. So, Mary comes and says to Jesus, they've run out of wine. And Jesus replies, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Fascinating comment by Jesus. Almost seems a little bit snide, doesn't it? But what Jesus, I think, is doing is setting this up. Because he's going to go ahead and he's going to do this miracle of changing water into wine. And it's this miracle that becomes the launching pad for many other miracles that he will do in his earthly ministry. Now, this miracle is quite fascinating. It's not a miracle of necessity, or is it? One of the great social embarrassments in the ancient world is if at a wedding feast you ran out of wine. It would be sort of like we going to a wedding and a ran out of food, right? And there's not enough for everyone, and there's shortage there. So when a couple plans a wedding, they want to make sure they have enough food, right? So that everyone at least can have a plate food of, uh, full of food, and they are not embarrassed. Same situation here, only it's the wine. And so Mary says, do whatever he tells you to the servants. I find that a fascinating response. After this little snide remark by Jesus, or at least it could be taken that way, 
Why do you involve me? She then turns to the servants and she says, do whatever he says. Isn't that great? She had this sacred expectation that even though Jesus was setting some boundaries a little bit, he was going to do something. And what she expected him to do was to remedy the situation. And that's exactly what he does. So Jesus will then look to those servants and he notices that there are six stone water jars that are sitting here. And these are ceremonial water jars. These are the type of water jars that were used for ceremonial washings. They were probably empty by this time. If anyone came in and did ceremonial washing for this event, they used up that water. But Jesus takes these sacred vessels and he says, fill them up with water. And that's what the servants do. And then the next thing that happens is fascinating. So what we think is there are six ceremonial water jars kind of representing religion and they run out. Jesus refills it, and then he turns to the master of ceremonies, and he says, take a drink. And so the master of ceremonies, the master of the banquet, takes a sip of what he thinks is water, and his eyes get real big. This isn't water, this is wine. And it's not just wine, it is the best wine. This isn't the cheap stuff. This isn't the stuff that comes in the cardboard container. This is the kind that comes in the barrel that has been sitting there as long as it takes until it ferments to the point of it being a choice wine. And then the master of ceremony says this to Jesus. Everybody else serves the better wine first, and after everybody gets a little bit tipsy in the process, then they serve the cheap wine because they don't know the difference anyways. But you have saved the best till now. That's a fascinating comment. We have often heard saving the best for last, but that's not what he says. He says, you have saved the best till now. Now think about this miracle for a moment. Jesus not just only changes water to wine, but the best wine. What does it take for it to be the best wine? Time, right? It takes time for it to ferment, and I don't know the whole process, but it takes time. And that's why there are dates that are stamped on the bottles of water. This was made in such and such a year. Think about that for a moment. The production of wine, however long it took in the ancient world, I don't know, was compressed, compressed, compressed to this minuscule fragment of a moment. When this master tastes this wine. And he says, this is the best I've ever had. And it's a picture. It's really symbolic. Ceremonial wash jars leaves us kind of empty. But Jesus continues to provide to now that what we need to thrive. I think what's most striking about this miracle is that he doesn't you do a lot of fanfare with it. Uh, the master of the ceremonies, uh, I wonder if he even knows whether this is a miracle or not, or whether uh, they were just holding out to serve the better wine till later in the reception. I don't know. But no fanfare. 
There's no fireworks going off. It's just this very quiet, behind-the-scenes type of thing that's going on that continues the wedding reception and this time of celebration for this young couple. He saves the best till now, to this moment. And I guess when we get up each day, maybe we would be better off to think not of what God has done in the past, even though that's important, but what is he going to do today and into tomorrow? Is he saving the best till now? Is he saving the best to this point in time, maybe when we need him the most? If we take this imagery of wine a little bit further, what has to happen to those grapes before they become the finest of wines? They have to be crushed. And many times in life, we're crushed. We're crushed through grief or disappointment or betrayal or whatever it may be, the loss of a job. Maybe it is those moments where we have a lot of self-doubt or shame and we need to really have this sacred expectation that Jesus will meet us in the moment, that he saves the best till now. And so today, as we finish this series, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to look each day as an opportunity to see God, maybe at work, in ways that we often ignore. Because sometimes God does his best work behind the scenes. The hope and the promises of God go all the way back to Isaiah's day and come right down through the person of Jesus Christ and into our own time. And the hope and the promise that God will make all things right and that our destiny is to be in a peaceable communion with God and neighbor in this age and in the age to come is what can motivate us in the hardest of circumstances. And it's in this, the middle of it, when we kind of wake up to it, when we taste it and we go, oh my goodness, God was with us the whole time. Maybe we can then expect enough grace to include us all, enough neighborliness to restore safety and dignity to each other, enough resources to share with widows, orphans, and immigrants, enough of pruning hooks and plowshares that we need not take up arms of sword and spear, enough that we need not scandalize the poor with our own selfishness, enough that we need not live with grudge, resentment, and fear as though we were under a threat enough broken bread, and enough wine poured out to exhibit gifts and give thanks. What is your need in the moment today? Do you feel the crushing weight of circumstances that's squeezing the life out of you? Do you feel like you're in the wine press? <laughs> Do you see the Lord taking the worst and making it the best? And maybe the best is still to come, or maybe God is saving the best Till now. Mary told the servants, do what he tells you to do. And maybe that is the key to experience the best for now. Do what God prompts you to do. Only God can compress the fermenting process into the moment. So may God give you aged wine in this moment. And may you have sacred expectations of what is yet to come. Would you stand with me as we 
close our time together this morning. Here's our benediction for today. So I've talked about the Old Testament. I've talked a little bit about the miracle of Jesus and changing the water to wine. But here's the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do measurably... Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Take note of this as we close today. I like that quote. It wasn't up on the screen long enough, but here's what it says. Hope is like the sun, which, as we journey toward it, casts the shadow of our burden behind us. Pretty cool. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you. And may he give you the finest of wines this week until we meet again. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.